0: Um, hey, so just to set the stage here, I'm doing everything that I've given you a hard time about, Katie. Uh, I'm in a car, on the highway, not in a quiet place. <laughs> oh so my god! I, so you lied and you said this is the quietest place I could find? I apologize. Well, this is the quietest place I could find because it's the only place.
1: This podcast addresses serious topics such as suicide that may be upsetting to some. Please use discretion while listening.
0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Mental Illness and Me. This is Daniel Sowards. I am the interviewer today, rather than our uh, lovely Katie Houston Davies, uh, because she is now the the subject to be interviewed, along with her two lovely sisters, lovely, thank you. Christina Thanks. and Anna. So welcome, everyone. So the way that we're approaching uh, this podcast episode is, this is a part two continuation on... Um, talking about Katie's mental health journey uh, throughout the years. So the first part we talked about um, her childhood and early adult life um, from her perspective and what her journey's been. And Katie and I were talking about what part two might look like, and she she thought it would be really great. And I agree, obviously, to to hear the perspective of um, or hear the perspective from you. Uh, you two sisters, given that you've been with her uh, since your childhood, and you have your own unique insights that could be beneficial to people that have their own siblings or family members that have uh, mental health struggles. So, and you all have recently started your own endeavor together as adults, which is so cool uh, to see, you know, sisters coming together to do something, even when you all live so far apart. Um, so those are the things that we're going to discuss. Uh, why don't we start with uh, just an easy question for the three of you um, and maybe an in order of age. Does that make sense, Katie?
1: Okay. So Christina first.
0: Okay. Uh, just okay. for clarity. <laughs> so, okay. So first off, how did you all decide to start joyous life, healthy life?
1: Okay. So first of all, You might be wondering what Joyous Life Healthy Life is. It is an Instagram account that we do together and we take turns posting. And it was actually Anna who had the idea initially for this account. So we'll let her explain why she started it.
2: I was in a neuroanatomy class and I was learning so many awesome things about just like wellness and the human brain. And just like just so I was getting so much cool information that I wanted to share it with people and just spread a little bit of joy.
0: That's awesome. And then uh, what what's behind the name? Have you Is that something that you came across in your education that you noticed?
2: I was like, I'm trying to come up with a name for something where I'm just going to like share cool information about the human body and like wellness in general. And she was like, oh, what about something like that has to do with joy and, and life and health? And then we came up with Joyous Life, Healthy Life.
1: Yeah, and we, uh, Christina and Anna and I have always talked about wanting to go into business together, and this isn't a business, um, but we have always talked about, dreamed about maybe opening a a dance studio that also had voice lessons and, you know, using each of our talents and bringing them together and having, you know, um, each one of us have a different role in that business. So this was just kind of a way for us to start doing a project together like we had always talked about before. And so, Anna, I think, Anna, I don't remember if this is what happened, but did you become kind of overwhelmed with keeping up with it? Because I feel like you invited us to be part of it, or did you just come up with that idea for us to join? I, I don't know how that happened.
2: Um, I think that I followed you guys with my new account, and you guys asked me, you were like, what is this new account? And I was just like, oh, I'm sharing things about wellness. And then you guys were like, oh, can we join? <laughs> I was like, yeah, totally. Oh, we,
1: we invited ourselves. i I think
3: it was was me me. i think i said let's do this together yeah and i i think it was because it sounds like something i would do yeah i think that
1: (laughs) that rings a bell we actually have talked about a lot of different ideas with it so uh, one thing we didn't mention is that the whole concept is that we want to focus on health from a whole perspective not just physical health but mental health as well emotional health and so we like to focus on fitness, on nutrition, and also on mental health. And each of us kind of has an interest in a different area. I I obviously focus a lot on the mental health side of things. And um, Christina, I'll let you talk about what you like to focus on.
3: Um, so when we first started, Katie and Anna weren't married yet. And uh, so I was the only one with kids and I was the only married one. And so I kind of had the, the perspective of like healthy family life and, you know, parenting and things like that. And then also just um, my, my interest in fitness and teaching fitness and things like that. And so it was like Anna's OT experience and her college experience. And then Katie as like an educator and in her mental health journey And then me as a parent and kind of like just putting those different perspectives together was where we first started out.
0: Now, I would never plug anything on a separate podcast, but if I were to plug something, I could just say that you can go and follow this account and
2: uh, see the journey.
0: And the great photography that sometimes pops up on on there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jeez, that was smooth. So So now uh, to the point of this podcast and this interview, um, I think it sets a really great context, knowing how close you all are still as as adults um, and that you have you know this this endeavor that you're going through and that you're spending time in. Um, but I think it's interesting to also know like what the history is with all of you in terms of uh, mental health and And your relationship with that, especially in terms of Katie. Um, So I have a couple of questions I want to go through. uh, And I think what would be fun for our listeners to hear first is uh, starting with you, Christina. Okay. Can you describe Katie in one sentence?
3: Just because one sentence is not very much. (laughs) But my sentence that I came up with is Katie is enthusiastic and passionate about life and relationships.
1: Oh wow. It's gonna make me get all steely. I, I like
0: that.
3: <laughs> she's just always been like very enthusiastic about everything. Just excited. Excited about life.
0: And Anna, what about for you?
2: I mean just in life and as in her relationships, like Tina says, just determined to make things work, to make things the best that they can be. And then also with her mental illness, she's determined to battle it and to embrace it and advocate for others as much as you can.
0: Okay. Thank you, Anna. That couldn't have been a better tra- transition. Um, how would you two say that your views on mental health have changed as you've grown together with Katie from childhood and looking to now?
3: So growing up, I did not know that Katie had mental illness like i i didn't realize it and katie and i didn't get along very well when we were growing up we had we were very different people and um it was harder for me to be tolerant of our differences when we were growing up because i just was like oh why does she you know for instance like she wanted to like tell on me if i was doing something wrong and or we would just she was an early riser and I was a a night owl, just things like that where I was just like not patient. And I feel like as I've come to understand a, that she does have a mental illness, um, I'm able to realize and look back and be like, Oh, well, probably some of the behaviors that were frustrating to me were because of her OCD. And now I'm, and, today like if something comes up where I'm like previously that would have been frustrating to me I'm like you know maybe this is coming from a different place and she's not like intentionally doing something to hurt me or frustrate me if that makes sense.
0: What do you think has been uh, or when when did you make that shift in recognizing that Katie's not just a nuisance to your life but that um, she's a she, she's a nuisance with um, mental health struggles well
3: we as adults we became like probably when I came out to Utah to go to school we became closer because we were adults and we weren't under the same roof and it's funny because some like for a few years when we would go home like for Christmas or the holidays we would like revert back and just like fight with each other again but it was almost <laughs> just like being out of our like childhood normal routine and growing up and just becoming adults we were able to just see each other more for who we are actually and not just for some of the behaviors that we both have because I know that my behaviors were frustrating to her too you know growing up but we've been able to get past that mostly probably because of maturity
1: Well, and I should probably note that when I was on my mission in Brazil, my sister Christina was in high school still she was a senior. And then also she was a freshman at BYU I was gone during both of those parts of her her year, her life. And when I went on my mission, that's when I was diagnosed with OCD. And very shortly after coming home is when I started taking med- medication. And I really think I chilled out a lot. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think that the medication, it had a huge impact on my life. And I believe that it positively impacted my relationships as well. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's all medication. I, I don't believe that. But I do think that it took the edge off of a lot of the anxiety that was uh, triggering some of my behaviors that were d- Difficult for my family members.
0: Well, and medication probably also gave you enough mental clarity and space and time to maybe right. be able to process things a little bit more clearly, and then and then figure out better right. coping mechanisms right. that maybe wouldn't require the same medication or as much, right? Um, Anna, given that <laughs> you're so young, um, young and fresh. How have your views on mental health changed over the years growing up with Katie?
2: My memories are different just because of my, like, our relationship was different because I was so much younger, but I mean, like, if I'm thinking back to when I was, like, a little kid, I think I noticed that she felt guilty a lot about things, and sometimes I would wonder, like, if I should feel more guilty for things because I did not feel (laughs) that guilty about certain things, and I was like maybe I should be more like Katie about this, you know, or wondering if I was missing something. <laughs> um, but then I think as I grew up and when I was in college, I lived with Katie for a summer. And I think I that was when I started to notice that she she asked more often for reassurance than I, I had remembered. And I think that was because I realized at that point what, what was happening, that it was – it was maybe coming from a place of anxiety because at that point I knew that she battled that.
0: So then Christine and Anna, what changes have you seen in Katie throughout Um, the years in terms of mental health?
3: Okay. Sorry. Long pause. (laughs) I would say that she has changed a lot. Um, Probably the, The biggest time, like the time that I've noticed that she has changed the most is when she went to her clinic and um, when she was able to start getting some tools to kind of help her out of some of her entrapments in her mind, it's hard for me to like describe what exactly is going on, you know, in her brain when she's either having an anxiety attack or when she's feeling obsessive over something but um like if I can if I can use an example so in dating when Katie would date somebody she would immediately go to the worst case scenario like I ruined this he hates me he's you know whatever and then And then she would ask and Anna mentioned this, but she would ask for reassurance and she would say like, well, do you think that I was too much? Do you think that I did this? You know, and we would have to kind of like talk her off a ledge kind of. And after she went to her clinic, she was able to kind of control those thoughts and say, you know what, maybe, maybe he's over it. Maybe he's not, but I'm going to just wait and see what happens. I'm going to wait and see if he calls me. So it's been good for us to learn, too, as family members, like, how to deal with that when she's asking for reassurance. And it's hard sometimes because we have to be like, sorry, we're not going to reassure you right now, you know?
0: Yes, I like that one. I like that part. Uh, no, but uh, I laughed earlier, and I realize that that's probably an insensitivity on my part. But when you were describing uh, Katie's dating um and what you heard, her insecurities that she was bringing up. I remember just feeling, because I I got some of those calls too, um, and I was just so confused for the longest time, because the Katie that I know is competent, she's able, she's fun, she's energized, she's so just good in terms of just life. And uh, so, Anna, how have you seen... Or what changes have you seen in Katie throughout the years in terms of her mental health?
2: Um, well, I think that it started out with her just recognizing the ways in which OCD and anxiety was affecting her life, and helping us recognize that. And then I, I really think that she began to to fight for openness, like to talk about it openly, even when she got pushback from it. And I was really impressed with her. He's just continuing forward with saying, like, no, this is something that needs to be talked about. Like, people need to know. People need to understand. And I 100% think she was right. And I think it's made such a difference in so many people's lives that she's been open about it. And especially for us, that she's been open about it. Because the more we know about it, the more that we can actually help her in the ways that she needs to be helped and to support her, you know, as family members should. Um, And I also think that this shift in her has helped me a lot as an occupational therapist, just as I work with a lot of people who battle mental illness, I have a new appreciation and an understanding for it that I think a lot of people don't, who don't live with someone who has mental illness. And although I'll probably Mm -hmm. never fully understand it, because, you know, you can't fully understand it unless you have the exact same struggle. But It has deepened my understanding and empathy for people who struggle with that.
0: Ah, That's so well said. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the advocacy element. Um, Katie, how has your mental health impacted your relationship with your sisters or has it at all?
1: Oh, it definitely has. And Christina touched on it a little bit. Um, First of all, it's very strange to have people talking about you while you're sitting there. (laughs) It's a very interesting experience, but it's also very eye-opening to me. Cause I think a lot of times I didn't, you know, when you, sometimes you don't realize the way that you're acting, right. You don't, you don't have an understanding of it, but um, Christina mentioned that we had a hard time getting along growing up. And I would say a lot of that had to do with uh, my mental illness. Um, I was trying to explain this to my husband today, as I was kind of preparing for this podcast, but I, I was so obsessed with honesty and I was so obsessed with trying to do everything right, according to what I thought right was, that anytime anybody didn't live up to the standard that I thought that I had to live up to, I was really judgmental and critical of them. And I remember that when Christina was in junior high, I like to call it World War Three, because she wanted to have a two piece bathing suit. And um, my parents didn't want her to have one. She wanted to have a bikini and my parents didn't want her to have one. And I just could not figure out, like in my head, I was like, she is just a little hooch, you know? And it was so funny because my parents, (laughs) they compromised with her and they let her get a tankini, but you could still see some of her stomach. And I was like, I cannot believe that my own parents have stooped so low as to let her get a two-piece bathing suit, because for me, I would have never dreamed of doing that because I would have been so afraid that I would have disappointed God and that I would be sinning if I did something like that. So to uh-huh. see her doing it, it almost made me angry because she could do it with such a light heart and not feel the same kind of guilt and agony I did. And yet we still, you know, I, I used to be, I this is kind of like a, a personal detail, I guess, but I used to agonize because I spent a lot of years single um, after my sister got married. She got married 10 years ago and I just got married this year. And she went on to have a wonderful husband and children. And I used to agonize and think I did everything right. I did everything I was supposed to. I tried to follow all of the rules and I tried to follow them so well. And she's living the life that I always wished that I could have had. And I finally, it was a sobering moment for me to realize that my way of doing things wasn't the way to get happiness. That wasn't the way to get happiness, to be extreme and to be critical of other people. And by her living her life true to herself while still maintaining good values, she found happiness. And it and it was so interesting to me. And it, it definitely was humbling and sobering, I would say. Um as far as Anna goes, you know, Anna was so much younger than me that, um, that when, when she was little, I just doted on her, you know, but then as we got older, we actually were really close because we were the only two who were single in our family for 10 years. And so we had the opportunity to get really close, but we did have moments where we would butt heads because I, part of my, um, issues is that I, I really want, to please people and I don't want to make them angry with me I don't want to make them um, upset in any way and so a lot of times I will stifle things that I'm feeling and a lot of the things that I feel sometimes are irrational because my brain sometimes jumps to irrational conclusions and so I would sit on those things and let it fester like I remember one time um, this is just a few years ago I was mad because every time we would get in the car and I'd put on a song Anna would say, Oh, I, I want to show you this song that I really like. And she'd put up, she'd change it to a different song. And then in my head, I thought she doesn't like my music. She thinks I'm out of touch because I'm so much older than she is. And, and I, Mm -hmm. I was really upset about it. And I let it sit and sit and sit until one day she changed the song and I like blew up and lost it. And she was like, Whoa. (laughs) And she just said, you can't be mad at me for something that you've never told me that you were mad at me about. And it was funny. Cause it was, it was irrational. She didn't think I had a poor chase t- choice of music. She didn't want to change all the songs I put on. She wanted to share with me songs that she thought I would like. And anyway, it was just, it was a really big learning experience for me as well. And I've, I've had to make an effort to not sit on feelings that I have, um, without discussing them with someone even if i am afraid that they might be irrational because sometimes i'll say to myself oh you shouldn't be worried about that that's not a big deal but instead i need to talk about those things and um it's like that with my husband now too i've learned a lot from those experiences
0: it's so easy to be especially critical of yourself around family members i feel like at least I feel like I get triggered by family members much more easily than I do uh, other people. Um, I don't know. I guess my takeaway from that is uh, if you wear a bikini and if you're choosy about your music, <laughs> you for life. is that right?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, the last question Uh and this is for all three of you, but let's start with, uh, Tina and Anna first. So what advice would you give to families to help a sibling that has mental health issues? Okay.
3: Um, I think that the first thing to, to say is number one, that if you aren't sure if they have mental health issues or not, that you approach it in a very sensitive way. Um, cause I think sometimes you have can have a family member and you're like, I wonder if maybe they have anxiety or I wonder if maybe they have OCD. Um, and instead of being like, oh, you're so OCD about this or, oh, you're you know being insensitive, I would say really be sensitive and just say, do you think that maybe you might have this or um, just try to be, kind when trying to troubleshoot and then I would also say that for us what's worked for us is to just ask Katie like how can we best support you um, and how can we help you because I don't ever want to be like giving unsolicited advice for her mental health issues because like Anna said I don't fully understand what's going on. So I'll, you know, if she's asking for reassurance, I'll say, okay, do you want me to reassure you right now? Or do you want me to not reassure you so that you can have this exposure or whatever?
1: Um, and it's interesting too, cause it's, for me, it's a little bit humbling. Cause you almost have to be childlike. Um, when you do have a mental illness and you understand that sometimes you have irrational thoughts, you have to be willing to to listen to your family member say to you, Hey, I'm not going to reassure you right now. It's almost like a little child, like, no, you can't have a cookie, you know? And, and you have to be willing to be okay with that and know that, um, they're doing it in your best interest. And so I think in our family, I don't know, Tina and Anna, if you agree, we've kind of made it a little bit of a joke sometimes. Yeah.
3: We definitely use humor and we, but we know that you're okay with that. Like, I think you have to be careful and know like whether that person is okay with making light of certain things. Right. Mm. Well, and
2: also I think that that's another shift I saw in Katie was when she was willing to laugh about it and make jokes about it. That kind of came after that like openness and like embracing the mental illness and the struggle that it is. And it like has made such a big difference for us to be able to laugh about it because it, it brings it to all of our minds, like we're aware of what's going on, but we're like it's almost like a safe place. like we all are supporting each other in those moments. I don't know if you agree with that, Katie.
1: No, I do, and i we we kind of have a joke about that we actually brought up in our text um chain is I used to be obsessed with the number four twenty because uh you know four twenty. <laughs> marijuana all of that stuff and I used to think it was a bad omen and that I, I, I was convinced that I would always look at the clock right at 420 and that it was like following me around I mean I don't even know how to describe it it sounds so ridiculous now but it's like I'd look up at the clock it would be 420 I would see something in a book that would I, I mean I, I it was just it was bizarre And so I finally confessed that to them like when I was doing all of my treatment or I think, and they thought it was hilarious. And so then we would joke about it. Anytime we would see 420, I would send them a text and be like, it's 420. I'm telling you. And part of me still believed it. It's like I didn't totally I I wasn't totally like convinced that it wasn't bad luck or that I wasn't cursed with the 420 thing, (laughs) But, but we could laugh about it. And now You just said, hey, let's meet at 420. And I didn't even think about it. Tina pointed it out. She was like, oh, 420, right? And I I didn't even think about it. And so I was exposed to it enough that, you know, uh, consciously, I guess, that it sort of didn't, it was not an issue anymore. So.
0: Wow. That's awesome.
3: OCD is weird, man.
1: I'm not kidding. So Um, Just rub
3: it in their face as much as you can. until you force them to get over it
0: i was just thinking i'm gonna set a daily alarm to text her right at
3: 4:20. (laughs)
2: bring it back daniel
0: yes (laughs) um okay awesome anna anything uh any other advice i know you already said the the importance of of communicating and having humor with it anything else to to help siblings
2: yeah, I think I would just reiterate that you will never 100% understand what they're going through unless you have that same particular struggle, but it's important to let them know that you're always trying to understand and to be patient with them and yourself because they are probably still trying to figure it out themselves and you are also trying to figure out how, how to be a good sibling to them. So a little bit of patience all around goes a long way. Um, and I also think it's important that you take it upon yourself to become an advocate for other people with mental health issues because you have personal experience with it, and what better way to support the people in your life that have mental illnesses than
1: to become an ally for them? Yeah, and another thing that I would say it's me, Katie again, but um another thing I would say is my sisters cannot force me to change my thoughts um you know they can't they can't force me to think the way that that they might think um but they they have the power to not enable me if that makes sense and it makes me sound like an addict which I'm not obviously but um they can't they can choose not to enable the behavior by you know like if I say to them I just feel so ugly and no one will ever love me for them to say, oh, yes, of course, th- someone's going to love you. They, c- they have the power to not enable those negative thinking patterns by giving me reassurance, uh, but they can't force me. I- I'm the only one who can take that journey. But anyway, it, to, to just continue reassuring is not healthy.
0: I like that.
3: I will- awesome. Can I add one more thing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) so just also I think that with people that have mental illness it can be frustrating and um, I'm just saying from experience with other family members too that have anxiety if we as supporters always blame everything on their mental illness so being like oh they're freaking out about this thing and it's because they have anxiety and I think it's important for us to take a moment and step back and say like, okay, what's my role in this? Is this something that is an anxiety thing or is this something, you know, that has more to it and kind of step back a little bit? Because I think sometimes it's easy to kind of pin things on mental illness.
1: Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that too, because it's hard as somebody with mental illness to feel like your feelings aren't valid. It's all being chalked up to a mental illness. Like, well, you're just obsessing right now. And then you feel like that your true feelings that you have, that you're not separate from your OCD. And you feel like those feelings aren't valid because usually there's a true, there always is a true, true emotion behind it. It's just amplified and intensified in, in irrational ways. Sometimes, you know, like the fear of, of not being, loved or whatever you know and yes the behaviors are sometimes irrational but there's a true feeling behind that
0: well perfect everyone uh that concludes the uh the interview uh katie what what do you think is the best way to leave this do you want to leave on like a final final thought
1: yeah so uh go on instagram and follow us at joyous life healthy life Jay <laughs> Oh, I was like, okay, no we... <laughs> I I thought you guys were going to laugh cuz it was funny. But well, I like, no, we were no, all texting I... <laughs> like that must be the OCD. Yeah. <laughs> I thought
2: you were being serious. I think we yeah. should plug it.
1: Well, I know we did, but I I thought we plugged it. I know, but then Daniel was like, "Well, I would never plug something." I... <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. No, I just um I'm this has been really really cool and I it's It's really, I love our episodes where we uh, talk to support systems so that you can see both sides. I think that's super important. uh, And I I hope to see more of that in our show next season.
0: Okay. Everyone, thank you so much. And as the sign off always goes with this podcast, live, laugh, love.
1: (laughs) Special thanks to Daniel Sowards for the audio editing, to Carrie Randall for the graphic art and to Shiny Head Productions for the original music.